The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. So let me encourage you to take a Bible wherever you are. Let me also encourage you to turn your phone off. We've watched all the news we can watch. Nothing's going to happen in the next 30 to 40 minutes that you don't need to know, that you can't find out in a few minutes. Take your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to read verses 12 to 34 in just a moment to wrap our minds and our hearts around the Scripture. Just encourage you that wherever you are, that you take this moment seriously of studying the Word. And, and at the moment this is being recorded live, there are 386 locations where people are watching. We're gathered, brothers and sisters. We are together, so let us study His Word together. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say... There is no resurrection of the dead. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ, then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of, to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says, when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that is, he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself, who will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by baptizing on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus, if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right. And do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. And I say this to your shame. Let's pray. Lord, what a timely text that you have brought this congregation to at this moment. Help us to understand it. Help us to understand the implications of it today 
in face of where we are and the implications to our future, both present and eternal. Lead us as we study in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a week of uncertainty for all of us, a week of confusion, a week of unprecedented decisions. The coronavirus has revealed that we are not in control as we think we are. It has also revealed the fear that lies just under the surface of many. So what are we afraid of? Obviously, we're afraid we'll get sick. We're afraid of the future. The stock market has proved that. But ultimately, we're afraid of death. This text confronts that fear. It speaks to us right where we are. And what we want to see in this text today is that the Christian faith and the future of Christians rest on the resurrection of Christ. Now let's consider the flow that brought us to chapter 15. In chapters 12 to 14, Paul is teaching on worship with his primary focus in chapter 14 being on clarity, particularly the clarity of the gospel. So there's absolutely no surprise now that Paul is going to clarify the gospel. Chapter 15, verse 1. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you of first most importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So apparently, here's what's happening. The Corinthians were claiming to believe the gospel, that Christ died for their sins according to the scripture, that he was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. But at the same time, they were denying the resurrection of the dead. In other words, they were saying, when you die, that's it. Now, here's what this proves. That it's not just modern people that struggle with the idea of the resurrection. Ancient people struggled. In fact, it was the greatest hurdle to Christianity. People saw the resurrection as a ludicrous thing. It was the core message, though, of the gospel. And that is what Paul came to proclaim and what he has proclaimed to them and what they have claimed to believe. So he refocuses them by looking at the necessity of the resurrection. The first thing he does is to point out that the Christian faith rests on the resurrection of Christ. Now, I preached an entire message on just this focal part of the text about a year ago that you could go back and look at, but we'll walk through it. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as from the dead, how can you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So they're saying, Paul's saying you're holding two opposing views in your mind. He clears it up. If there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. So you have two inconsistent views. You cannot say there is no resurrection from the dead and say Christ has been raised at the same time. Now he plays this logic out in verses 14 through 16. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and our, your faith is in vain. So Paul's saying that if Christ is not raised, then the content, not the act, that's not what he's talking about. The content of his preaching, what he, what he has given them in verses 3 and 4, that, that, that Christ died for our sins and raised accordance with the Scripture. He's saying that our content 
is empty. It's, it's worthless. It's a waste of time. And then he turns it on them. He's saying, our preaching's in vain and your faith is empty. We are found, he says, to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. So Paul's saying we're offering a false claim. Now, I don't know if you've been keeping up with the internet, but as I figured, cures for the coronavirus are everywhere. And it is amazing to me that Jim Baker has entered the foray again and offered a false cure. First of all, how would anybody believe him? But secondly, that he would attempt it. Folks, there are false people out there offering false hopes. And Paul's saying this. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ is not raised and we are frauds. There are personal implications. Verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. It's empty. It has absolutely no significance. And you are still in your sins. If you turn with me to Romans chapter 4. In Romans 4, Paul's explaining the significance of the resurrection. In verse 24, he says, It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, our sins. He's talking about the cross. And raised for our justification. One writer said it this way. The resurrection is not the happy ending. The resurrection is essential to the gospel. That apart from the resurrection, there is no justification. There is no declaration of righteousness. The work of redemption is incomplete. But because of the resurrection, we are delivered up from our sin and raised for our justification. We are declared righteous in the presence of Christ. Otherwise, you're still in your sins. Verse 18. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. They're gone. And if in Christ... We have hope in this life only. We have all people to be most pitied. Verse 18 is a sad and somber conclusion. If that's all it is, they put you in the ground, they cover you up, and that's it. What a sad state. And verse 19 is a massive implication. Paul's saying this. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are to be pitied today that we're gathered around screens listening to a sermon on the resurrection. People ought to feel sorry for us. They ought to feel sorry that we have invested so much of our life and time and livelihood into the things of the gospel. The resurrection is essential to the Christian message. Verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised. That means that our preaching is true. Our faith is full and true. That those who are in Christ are forgiven and declared righteous and that the dead in Christ have a sure future. Timothy Keller said it this way. The resurrection is the hinge on which the story of the world pivots. The resurrection is the hinge which the story of the world pivots. 
So brothers and sisters, the story of the world is not pivoting on the coronavirus. The story of the world pivots on the resurrection of Christ. He now progresses into a deeper explanation of the implications by pointing out that the future of Christians rests on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He first first is dealing with our future glory, that which is eternal, that which is coming. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, first fruits is an offering that the priest would bring when the first grain would come. He would take a, a sheave of the grain and he would present it to the Lord, literally holding it up in praise and thanksgiving to God. What the Bible is saying here is that Christ in, the, in his resurrection is the first fruits. He is the praise to God of that which is coming. Now what follows here is what's called representational theology. It can be a little bit confusing, so let's try to hang on together. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And we've all been affected by what's being taught here, the federal idea. We live in a federal government. We have elected people who now represent us, and we have said, we trust you in moments like this to make decisions for us. And they are. Now you can criticize them, but we need to pray for them as they are seeking to make the best decisions on behalf of all of us. You know, I was listening to Walmart yesterday, some people complain about leaders. And I just thought, I wish you were it. Because somebody would be complaining about you. Well, we could complain about Adam. But we're all like Adam. Because Adam sinned, and as a result, the wages of sin are death. And in Adam, all die. We all are going to have to come to terms with death at some point in life. But in Christ, he says, all shall be made alive. Now, very careful here. This is not teaching universalism, that each and every person is going to become a Christian. There are two very important phrases you need to grab hold of. First, in Christ, union with Christ, in union with Christ, those who have faith and trust in Christ. And in the next verse, those who belong to Christ. Jonathan Edwards said it this way. Humans are in Adam by nature and in Christ by faith. We are in Adam by nature and we are in Christ by faith. Verse 23. Each in his own order. Christ the first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So at his coming... It's going to be a resurrection from the dead. That Christ is going to raise us. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. So Christ is risen. Christ is coming. At his coming, all who belong to him will be raised and he will put all his enemies under his feet. 
Christ the King will deliver the kingdom to God the Father. Now, I want to mention this and we'll come back to it in a moment. The economy of the Godhead, that the Father is not greater than the Son of the Holy Spirit. They are three in one. They are co-equal and co-eternal. This text has been used by some to get a warped view of the Trinity. We must keep a right view. What he's looking here is to the fulfillment of God's promise to the Davidic king, Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. He must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. This verse assigns the reason why Christ cannot relinquish his dominion over the universe as mediator until the end comes. And while he will deliver it up, he must reign until the purpose for which he was invested with the universal dominion is accomplished. From the words of Charles Hodge, that, that, that this must be done. Now, he is reigning. He has dominion. He has not yet come to put all of his enemies under his feet. But when he comes to do that, there will be one last enemy. One last enemy to conquer. Verse 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. There's been lots said and written about, you know, is this a sign of of the end? Uh, Folks, we live in the last days. We've been in the last days since Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. We await the coming of the king. That one day Christ is coming and he will put an end to sickness and to death. He will destroy death. In Philippians chapter 3, it says, Our citizenship is in heaven. That is all Christians. For we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So if, if Christ can put all enemies under his feet, then he can subject death and he can transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. So once death is destroyed, everything will be in subjection to Christ. Now what Paul wants to be clear here is this, the, the function of, that the function of the Godhead is understood. Christ the Son, who humbled himself and became obedient to death, died in our place. He rose from the dead. He reigns as our king and high priest and will put all things in subjection and deliver the kingdom to God our Father. Augustine, writing many, many centuries ago, said, It is necessary for Christ's kingdom to be manifested to such a degree until all his enemies confess that he does reign. That is, that he reigns forever. Now, let me read verse 28 again. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. Now, what what has resulted from some people misinterpreting this verse is they've taken a heretical view called subordinationism. 
that even though Jesus is eternal, he's less than the Father. That is a false view. What's being taught here, and I'm not trying to play with words here, is functional subordination. That as the Davidic king, the Messiah, Christ the Lord, hands the kingdom to God the Father and submits himself to him. Now this is a complex reality, quoting Tom Schreiner here, that by virtue, virtue of his equality with God, he also reigns equally and forever with the Father. We must not see him less than the Father. Then there's this final affirmation that God may be all in all. This refers to the unchallenged reign of God alone. There's all kinds of back and forth going on in our government. There's all kinds of back and forth going on between governments right now. But I can promise you at the coming of Christ, there's going to be one king, one. And it's going to be clear to everybody. It's going to be an unchallenged reign. So what do we do till then? I can almost hear the question from Corinth. So Paul, what do we do till then? He says, I'm glad you asked because I want to address your future living in view of what Christ has done and will do. Verse 29. Otherwise, what do people mean by baptizing, by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? And let's just be clear with one thing. Paul is not advocating for baptism on behalf of the dead in this text or anywhere else. He's stating something that was going on, which is unclear. There are 40 different interpretations to this verse among theologians, across denominations, across places, 40 different ones. I'm not going to bore you with 40. What Paul is saying is the act shows that you Corinthians believe there's something beyond death. Even though you're claiming there's not a resurrection or you wouldn't be worried about baptism, particularly as it related to a dead person. But it's very interesting though, contextually, if you flow and let's think in a different direction about baptism. Baptism in the first century was not a cultural rite. It was not a rite of passage. It was not a simple religious act that people celebrated. Baptism was a radical association with Jesus Christ. To identify with him meant that you put yourself, your family, your livelihood, even your very life in danger. And if you thought that thought in your head, look at verse 30. Why are we in danger every hour? Here's what Paul's saying. As a Christian, if we don't believe there's a resurrection of the dead, why in the world would we place ourselves in danger? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What Paul's saying is for the sake of you and people like you, I put my life on the line every day. What do I gain, verse 32, if humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Now Paul's asking a very straightforward question. Why put your life in danger? Why put your life on line for the gospel? Why step in the harm's way if there is no resurrection from the dead? Then he goes a step further. 
if there is no resurrection from the dead, let's have a party. Here's what makes what don't make sense to me right now. Let's, let's really think about it. If, there, if there's nothing after this, why is everybody afraid and scared and hiding? Why don't we just have a party? This is it. What, what this is proving right now is that instinctively, even the rational mind knows something else. They might not know what that else is, but there's something else. And what this will do is just like it did at 9-11, this will cause people to, at least for a moment, to lift their head to thoughts they haven't had in a long time. That there's something beyond me. There's something beyond the party. Verse 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Paul's saying, if your primary relationships, company refers to a group. If your primary relationships are those who do not believe in Christ and the future resurrection, then your life's going to mirror theirs. What you believe about Christ, what you believe about the future, is addressed in how you live your life. And if you don't believe those things, you're going to live contrary to those things. So your, your decisions in life is not just what people are doing, it's what people believe. Because what they believe affects what they do. Verse 34, wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. What's Paul saying? Wake up and live for Christ. Live in light of the resurrection. If you turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul, in addressing Timothy, brings to light the implications of the resurrection to how we live. Remember Jesus Christ, verse 8 risen from the dead. And this is the thought he wants in the forefront of Timothy's mind. So let's put it in the forefront of our minds. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David. That is, he's the one that's going to put all of his enemies under his footstool. As preached in my gospel for which I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. So I'm, I'm suffering implications of this, but the word of God is not bound. Praise God that we may have to meet like this for a while, but the word of God is not bound. And it's not just not bound because we're on the internet. It's not bound because of wherever you are, the word of God goes. And your opportunity with your, with your neighbors right now is huge. Step into it. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory, this saving is trustworthy. If we died with him, we will also live with him. He's talking about resurrection. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Why? For he cannot deny himself. So what then? Here's my question today. Is my faith and my future resting on the resurrection of Jesus Christ? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Paul offers to this suffering band, I mean, Peter offers to this suffering band of believers hope. He begins his letter this way. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Not one of us are saved. Not one of us are saved apart from the resurrection of Christ. It is the power of the resurrection applied to our hearts and minds to which we are born again to a living hope. The living Christ gives a living hope. And there's more to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Christ is protecting you, guarding you through faith for a salvation, for a release to be set free, revealed at the last time when Christ comes and death is defeated forever and Ever. Brothers and sisters, we are safe. Those of us in Christ are guarded. We are guarded in Christ. That means, that means this. We can look death in the eye without ultimate fear. Since the resurrection is true, we can suffer and take risk for Christ, and they make sense. They make sense. Because we believe there's more. So let's be who we are claiming to be right now in this hour. To some of us, they think it's ridiculous that they've put these kind of bands on us to how we can gather. Let's think about this for a moment. Is it loving to our neighbor to seek not to pass this virus for the next few weeks? The answer is yes. Do, do we want to be responsible in this community because 1,400 people got together every week who come from all over the place? I don't think we do. But does that mean we can't be the church? Yes, it does. We can be the church, and we can love our neighbor. And listen, some of us could, could, if it continues, have to be the ones who move to the sick and die. Martin Luther, the great reformer. Do you understand the Reformation happened during the Black Plague? Has that ever occurred to anybody? Death was everywhere. You couldn't walk outside your door that there weren't dead bodies on the street. Martin Luther wrote, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. That's a good word. If God shall wish to take me, he shall surely find me. And I have done what he has expected of me so that I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person. I shall go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy, nor does it tempt God in any way. Here's certainly how you can love your neighbor. Every one of you right now, 
by living with living hope. By sharing the hope that is within you. By reaching out to those around you. We may be limited to gathering in big groups, but the early church met in homes and the gospel spread in an unprecedented manner. Let's reach out to our neighbors. Let's take these unprecedented days and be the people of the resurrection. Let's be a distinct people in a distinct time who are sharing the hope of Christ. Now, I'm about to pray. Don't log off. Here's why. You're about to witness the ordinance that reveals death and resurrection. Two brothers are going to be baptized in just a few minutes. So remain with us to witness their baptism. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your holy word and for encouraging us in this hour. I pray for those who are watching who do not yet have the hope of Christ. May they recognize that you died for their sins according to the scripture, that you were buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. May they repent of their sin and turn to Christ and trust him today. And for all who are trusting in you, Lord, may the hope of the resurrection play out in a living hope in every one of our lives. May we be the people of the resurrection, a people of great hope who live without fear and who live with love for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Move in us and through us, we pray and we plead in the name of Jesus our Lord. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.